Next Chapter Podcasts. Hey, welcome back to How I Got Greenlit. I'm Alex Collegian. On behalf of my co-host, Ryan Gibson, we are in uh, day umpteenth of the writer's strike. And uh, so none of us are in production, but it's great to hear about the glory days. We taped this a couple months back with Lori Collier. She's a pretty renowned indie film director and now a television director. And it's a great human portrait of the business as we look at the strike, as we look at the impact on the average person, either in craft service or production or in the offices, in the agencies, in the sets, uh, everybody is feeling it. So you get a human face on being a working director. You know, she's done some very glitzy, glamoury, sparkly, how I got green litty moment sort of great stuff. But she's a mom. She's, you know, she's got two-legged kids, four-legged kids. She is a human being and uh, you got to do lots of different things to keep doing this. Um, So as the indie film side dries up, you know, business-wide, you adapt. You know, like I I look, there's a ton of names I could throw out. John Dahl being one of them, he was sort of the last seduction and he was the indie guy and, and now is a huge TV guy and has been and you know, all kinds of shit, rounders to, you know, he's all over the place. And that's what's great is that's where it's gone is that if anyone's ever wondering like, why is TV so good now? It's like, well, because you took away the indie film business. So the writers and the actors and the producers and the directors uh, had to eat. So this is what it is. It's, It's not dissimilar, lower budgets, but higher quality, but tight schedules, but you get to do what you want, less pressure from on high tell more interesting stories and Lori certainly is one of those uh who's helped perpetuate and uh sort of enrich the uh tv landscape as she continues to do features as well so without further ado this is Lori collier and we are how i got greenlit enjoy welcome to how I got greenlit. We're here talking today. My partner, Ryan Gibson, and me, Alex Collegian, are here talking to esteemed, esteemed film and television director Lori Collier. Yay! Welcome, Lori. Hi, Lori. Hi, thank you so much. So we've gotten better. Usually, I my credit because I've yet to meet a director that hasn't done or is currently doing four other jobs. I've been trying to get better about the introductions because, like, one person that was like professional cheerleader and turns out she really was like, there's a lot of cool jobs like um, leading up to where you are now. And you can let us know in the, in the course of this interview, if this is actually what you want to do when you grow up or if you're still, (laughs) (laughs) or, or if you're still in transit to that golden destination out there. But um, that's kind of what it's about is the life journey, right? Yeah, listen, man, I, I'm not collecting jobs, but I am collecting animals, if that gives you a... Oh, my... What? So wait, wait, excited. hold on. Give, give us, a, give us, yeah. a, give us a guest list. Who you got? Yeah. Uh, well, I got Daisy right here on uh, on my bed. Uh, she came two weeks ago through rescue. She's a senior. She's my first ever dog. So she's basically the size of a cat. 
Um, but yeah, I've been rescuing cats with my daughter and stuff like that. Yeah, I haven't been that busy directing. I've been writing my ass off. Um, That's good. Because yeah, I haven't directed a movie I wrote in 10 years, you guys. And I got to that. I know it's wrong. Well, well, wait, you've been doing a lot of TV. Let's, let's I, clarify. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah. I mean, it's not uh, the days of our lives, like hack jobs, like you're doing some pretty premium TV these days, which is great. Yeah. And you know, honestly, you do these jobs. Of course, I love to direct. It's, you know, I've been told that I direct in my home. <laughs> I direct in my sleep. You know, I love to direct, but you know, you also get paid for those jobs. And what happens is you get residuals. It's, you know, it's a very lucky thing about being a director as opposed to being a DP. Um, one of my DP friends said to me recently, yeah, I don't shot Liz with the director during prep anymore on TV. She was talking about TV, not film. Uh, she's like, cause you know, I don't get any residuals. <laughs> I wow. was like, fair enough, you know, cause I'm able to live on, you know, those gigs I did a couple of years ago. So, so oh, that's why I, that, that's our first segment. It's called mailbox money. Mailbox money. Mailbox Always money. Yeah, I don't live large, but and you know, you have rescue cats and dogs, Lori. You must be rolling in it. I would, you know, listen. <laughs> would you say? All right, so that that I I, I I my entire brain operates from assumptions, as you'll find out. Yeah, so I think it's just um, one of the assumptions that me and others have is like that was like you are such the 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 profile of a of an indie director in many ways yeah but, i know and, but in our world today that doesn't exist as much right it no. does for your first couple movies or if you're either independently wealthy or whatever but as you said you have children you have four-legged children at some point you got to get a gig and so you do yeah. tv because that's the the that's my assumption is that the migration of the well-respected but not super box office, you know, breaking director yeah. is in premium one-hour television now. Is that is that an accurate exactly. statement? Exactly. Not a bad place to fall down, though. Right. I mean, I wouldn't say down. I mean, you're working your I wouldn't even say falling. That was wrong. That was wrong. I was a miss. I misspoke. Not falling down. I was. It was a joke. Sort of. Right, where to find yourself. It's not a bad place to find yourself. Yes, yeah, it's that's be better. Right. It's better, you know, it's better than industrials. You guys remember industrials? Oh, oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> I had a friend who had a company. He was like a you know family friend or something, and he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." They yes, that's now like what branded content? I guess. Yeah, that, it's become it's 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 it, everything still exists. It's just a new name, but yeah, it, I that was the job that you got if you stayed in Chicago after you got a film degree, right? Hey, that's remember, remember, Alex, when I when I went to Chicago for that time after the nervous breakdown, I uh, I ended up doing stuff <laughs> Which one? for the second, no, first one. Uh, they uh, I did uh, we were doing in like uh, stuff for uh, law law firms like videos of course. for yeah that's another of course. one you get into yeah and there's nothing wrong with it again you're you're pace, using your craft pace. you're you're stretching your your your, yeah. your I mean, look it's exactly the same to anybody outside observer you're like lights camera action and oh wait that's not al pacino that's uh you know Morty al, from al benedetti <laughs> the uh you know partner at the law firm but still it's showbiz well, i will call it that the bills. 
it does pay the bills, and I'm not mocking at all. It, it pays the bills pretty well for certain people, so there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but that's what I meant is just the the getting by, man. You know, like how do you do what you do? Um, and, and that's some of what we talk about. It. I mean, this is an aspirational show. I would argue that you are uh, living the dream of someone else right now. Very right? much so. And it could have been you 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, right. I'm a, uh, it, it's just that it, I'm sure that's the problem with ambition, right? You never arrive. <laughs> yeah. Interesting word. Choice. <laughs> I go back and forth on that one. I've been accused of being enormously ambitious and then i've been accused of being not ambitious at all so i probably land an ambitious woman is also called a bitch right i mean that's the problem well actually the terminology in our industry is difficult (laughs) (laughs) it's difficult are you are you difficult i've been called difficult i have you know, it ha- listen, it was a bit of a baptism by fire, my first uh, feature film. I came out of NYU Film School. Things have changed so much, you know, even NYU Film School is very pre-professional now. When I went there, it was very, like, European auteur. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know, when, when did you go? I, I also went to 95 NYU. to 2000. Oh. I went for five years. Yeah. No, we passed graduate. in the night. I, I graduated 93. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it was about, um, one of my best friends from childhood. So it was based on, you know, a real person. Um, and it turns out I discovered years later, it was also about my own actual sister, which I didn't realize at the time. So I was very like, I didn't graduate from kindergarten about it. I was like, it's mine, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so, you know. We, when when did that, some, when did the, when did the, le- when did uh, that, that is an interest. I know we're bouncing around, but welcome to our world. So, um, yeah, when did, when did that marination? Cause I had a similar thing. I like, uh, I made a film. I thought it was about X and then yeah, 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 yeah. some years later it turned out it was about Y. And, yep. uh, I'm just wondering like, what was the time frame? Was it a couple of years no, later? Was I it like, mean, no, it was it was a more much more recent. Um, well, I don't know, ten years. Wow, later? so like a decade later. Ten years later, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my sister <laughs> was a high functioning alcoholic for a long time, and so I was just like, oh, she likes to party, you know, and she was like a really successful class <laughs> right. action lawyer. But she did eventually have a nervous breakdown and, you know, live for another 10 years. And it was during that time where I was like, wow, she's actually really is like an addict. Um, and that's Do you when think I that that was your maturity and your education of what the symptoms were or? Yes, you know, partially. Yeah, but yeah, also yeah, yeah. family, you know, I mean, we all have families, right? And family systems are all very specific. And I think I just was in denial. You know, she was my little yes. And she was always, uh, she was kind of a golden girl, golden child. Not a golden right, girl. and you were you were the scruffy artist. Why aren't you a lawyer? <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah, totally. I was supposed to be the crazy one. So yeah, and it's funny because my friend Sue, that the dedication on Sherry Baby is is to my sister's also named Sue, so it's like it works both ways. But yeah, I uh, I learned a lot, and I always say Maggie Gyllenhaal made me a director. 
She nice. made me a director. I mean, I definitely directed New York and Dream, my documentary. That was my film school thesis. And the reason it took me five years to get out of film school, because basically I was just shooting this film <laughs> and borrowing <laughs> money from the government uh, in order to right. make it. So short, yeah, end, short ends from Technicolor and NYU, yeah, no, NYU production my, insurance. I was shooting height with no production insurance, but you know, it was verite. So you shoot every day, you know, for a week and then you go and you log and transcribe everything. And then you go back and you shoot every day for another week or two. And you know, it was years of that years. of that. So you, um, let's, let's, let's go back a beat. Uh, did, what did film school find you or did you find film school? Is that always okay. something you were, were journeying towards? Did you start no. in visual arts or music or what was your journey? Um, to get? Well, I went to Oberlin College and got a bachelor's degree in German studies, random, um, because I wanted a way to live in Europe for a while. Um, and so back then, you know, again, back to the things have changed so much. It wasn't, it didn't even cross my mind to think of a job or a career when I was in college. I was like, what do, what am I into, you know, or where do I want to go? So, so then but by the end of my undergrad time, I decided I wanted to be a social worker. I did a few internships, one at a battered women's shelter, one in a special ed class. And I was like, I'm going to be a social worker. I moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area chasing or, you know, for a job that I got before I moved out there at the Burt Children's Center, which was residential treatment for severely emotionally disturbed children. So I worked there. I worked at a home for pregnant teenagers. I was on that track. Um, but I found the longer I did it, the more I learned about myself in terms of my emotional life, my emotional landscape, and I had a very hard time separating, uh, which means I would bring all these kids problems home. Um, and I found it, you know, burning me out before I even got a master's in social work. So around that time, I started taking film and video classes at City College of San Francisco. Um, actually still photography and super eight classes. And, um, I did that at night while I was working a couple jobs. Um, one, I was teaching in an after school program and the population was like almost exclusively Central American refugee kids is kind of an amazing, also eye opening experience I had when I was younger. Um, and I like to think I brought a lot of those experiences into my work, um, did that fuel the the doc? Was that yeah, the yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was immersed. You know, it was the mission, nineteen ninety, ninety one, ninety two. It was very Latino, and uh, my boyfriend was Latino, so yes, that totally led me to New York and Dream. But um, it was really the classes, and then I got an assignment to make a short about a short Super Eight film about a chair. Everybody got the same assignment. And there was a kid in one of the special ed classes I worked in who had this electric, uh, you know, totally tricked out electric wheelchair with a touch talking device because she had very severe cerebral palsy. So she used this computer to speak sort of like Stephen Hawking. So I was like, oh, I'll just make a short about Ton. You know, she was into it too. Um, and when I showed the film, to the class, everyone was like, holy shit, 
you got to make a real movie about this girl. She's amazing. She was, her family's from Vietnam. She was 16 years old and still in middle school because, you know, like I said, she had really severe physical dis disabilities, but she was a first student with that severe of disabilities being mainstreamed into regular education. And, you know, we had news crews in there in the beginning of the year following her around and stuff. So, so I did actually, you know, go back and, and I still talk to Tom today, by the way, and she doesn't seem so young to me anymore. She's only 10 years younger than me. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I made the 30 minute, you know, documentary short, um, which I watch now and cringe all the way through. I mean, I actually don't watch it because it's so cringy to me, but, but I adore Tan and, and some of the moments are really gorgeous. Anyway, um, Neil Young and his wife and a woman named Marilyn Buzilich founded a school called the Bridge School. Tan had been a student at the Bridge School before she was mainstreamed into regular education. And so um, Marilyn got the film to Neil. He called me one Saturday morning at my apartment in San Francisco. I can still remember where I was standing when he said, this is Lori, this is Neil Young. I was like, oh shit. Um, and he screened the film at the Bridge School Benefit concert for 22,000 people at the Shoreline Amphitheater. And in that wow. moment, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. This is what I want. And then I applied to film school and, you know, I got in. That's a cool story. So wait a second. The class that when, when people get the call, um, I would say 70% go like, oh, shut up, Larry. Like they think it's their friend, like imitating a famous person. Did you, did you believe well, it to be true? As soon as I was retelling you the story, I realized, oh, I misspoke a little bit. His wife, Peggy, called. And she said, Lori, I just showed your film to Neil. He loves it so much. Here, why don't you talk to him? And so I knew it was him. Yeah. Because I knew Peggy. Not you. So and, she um, was real, yeah. May she rest in peace. She died a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, that was that was a pivotal moment as far as like your the format of your podcast. That was definitely pivotal moment number one where I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll be a filmmaker. I can reach more people. Um you know, the other thing working in social services, so many politics of working in social services and working in social services as a white woman and most of the clients being like black and Latino kids and, and just the dynamic. And, you know, it was pre the moment we're in now for sure. Um, it was so much racism. It was kind of gross. I didn't like that. So, yeah. So I just shifted gears and went to NYU 1995. And why NYU and not the West Coast? Did you just think that it was more well, of an artistic event? Or did you, you got in. I got in. Yes, I got in. I wanted to go to UCLA. It was cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Same deal. Um, you resident, you know? Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah, you know, I was living in the Bay. So, yeah, but um, I, I think I, those were the only two I applied to. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know Columbia had a film school at that point. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm from the, uh, my parents grew up in Brooklyn. I'm from New Jersey. I had a lot of romance around Spike Lee and Jim Jarmusch and Martin Scorsese, you know, it was, it was very appealing. Yeah. It had street cred. Lots. So before that, Lori, when you were like a teenager or even earlier, you didn't have any, you weren't like attracted to film 
making before that or were you a movie fan before that when you were a kid or or you when I was actually a kid, found no. wow no. so you really found it that was your point of like really like i'm going to film school that was it was well like i said i went to oberlin undergrad and and that was a you know i had never been in an environment like that before and by that i mean there were a lot of like intellect you know children of intellectuals a lot of wealthy young people like it was you know it's a private yeah. universe right. in the right. united states liberal intelligence a lot, yeah a lot right. of that and so mm -hmm. that was where i saw my first fellini movie and being italian american heritage like all the old italian guys really that it was it was yeah that, so wait you're, you're italian but you did german studies yeah <laughs> <laughs> My, my mom's side's Italian. My dad's side's German and Polish. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah. but they didn't have Italian in Oberlin. They had like Italian for voice majors. Like if I wanted to see opera, I could have taken Right, right. Um, but no, I got really into the German sensibility. And then I discovered Fassbender. And he, to this day, he's like, you know, one of my director heroes. Um, but yeah, so, but I remember watching Fellini and De Sica and, Pasolini in those, you know, early days and being like, I didn't know a movie could be like this. You know, I saw La Dolce Vita and Eight and a Half and I was like, I just didn't know a movie could be like that. And right. It was pretty the cool. The eye opening. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people got that out of NYU, just the exposure to um, right. things that they hadn't seen. I mean, there was a few, like you said, there was a lot of Europeans and a lot of very artistic people that knew exactly all about that. But I was much more of the suburban Chicago, you know, right. uh, theater at the end of the shopping mall kind of uh, milieu, right. you know. Um, but uh, what was your, so you were a grad student then. You were NYU. Yeah. Grad. So yeah. it was undergrad when I started watching, you know, the old, you know, guard of European directors, you know, the, the first, you know, film appreciation labored, at Oberlin, yeah. labeled like auteur directors. Yeah. That was, but so what, is, is it a oversimplification to say that you came to film through social change? Yeah. Like you, yeah. Activism, social yeah. justice. Yeah. 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 Totally. Cause when I was a teenager, that was my, passion two things like i like to be in the woods and i you know i want to change the world save the children what have you <laughs> i raised fifteen thousand dollars for the committee in solidarity with the people of el salvador um you know that was more my track but then i figured i just shifted into film and then you know as you see in my bio it sort of just went like you know pure film uh, for the last 10 years, just working in television. But what I'm writing now is trying to, you know, get back to, get back to my roots. Is my that the ultimate trajectory is um, not to say like create a show, be a showrunner. It's to get back to film and very specific sort of personal filmmaking. Uh, both. I have created a show actually. <laughs> Funny you should mention. Sell out. <laughs> but no, but it's like, it's it, it, it could be good. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it like specifically. Oh, no, you don't. I just no, meant generally, like, generally. You know, I have a yeah. pitch and I have a pilot. Do you have a deck? Do you have a deck? We I, need a deck. I'm paranoid, you know, I, whatever. I have a deck, yeah. No, actually, for this, that show, I don't. But, yeah. So, 
But I think, you know, television is so many things right now. And the world has really opened up to a lot of um, these social justice issues, which used to be so much more marginalized. Now they're sort of. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Trendy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're of the moment. Yeah. Yeah. You, you sort of uh, were ahead of the curve on that now. Yeah, I mean, you know, to that point, it, when I started my career, it was a lot harder being a woman director in Hollywood than it is now. And I didn't even see Absolutely. myself like in Hollywood, but in the industry, right? Yeah, of it course. A lot harder. Downtown a lot New harder. York vibe. So yeah. when you were at grad school, when you got into NYU, uh, did you see documentary as the path because of the social issues and sort of the, the track and the film uh, that you ended up making? Or did you always see like storytelling of all kinds? I saw it as a path, um, but I've always been a writer. That's one thing I did from early childhood actually was write stories since you oh. know, I can remember. Yeah. So there you go. There's and did that help get you into NYU? Were you were you like writing short stories in prose? Did you write screenplays? Mm -hmm. Okay, not plays, short stories. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, poetry. Just, <laughs> bad. Yeah. And then bad feminist poetry. <laughs> I had a bad feminist poetry phase. Oh yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Can you describe uh, the pros and cons? of and i know some of them like it's not your show and you didn't write the script and da, 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 but just generally in terms of the directing process or the comfort level the difference between directing a film and directing say an episode of billions or law and order this is a great question and um you know as a director i'm sure every director you interview will tell you this you learn something from every job you're always learning you're always you know honing your craft however yeah, you describe same it. with every script you write you and get a little bit better yeah and sometimes you do a better job than others you know it's we're just human beings right so at the end of the day but uh here's what i'll say i have a really sort of groovy outlook on the world and i'm kind of a hippie and i'm not generating you know generation x whatever and kind of social change filmmaker. I'm, you know, when I started seeing all these millennial girls have armpit hair, I cannot tell you how my heart warmed. But they're also like, no one's ever done this before. I did. In, in your face, patriarchy. I did. But anyway, back to directing. So I always collaborate with my actors, you know, in features um, on the blocking and when you're directing television, no, 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 you need to block every scene yourself. And Ooh. I didn't know that, or I, you know, I learned very quickly. So literally, like um, they're in their trailer until they're like, okay, pictures well, they come up. to set, and they're like, what am I doing? You know. Hmm. And so I still, I have to say, I still, it's still intimidates me because it's such a different way of working with actors. Yeah. Um, because on these indie films I directed, you know, with scripts I wrote myself and, and also directing documentary, I've gotten, you get really close to your actors. You spend a lot of time with them. I think I spent three weeks with Matt Dillon in Florida, you know, prepping for Sunlight Junior. Um, Naomi was on another job and, you know, she has two kids and, and that was a little bit different. She came a few days in advance, but you know, <clears throat> Matt was there. He also had to play a paraplegic and use a wheelchair. So 
he was there learning, you know, how to use a wheelchair, how to make it look like he'd been in one for 10 or 15 years. And he was also like downloading from um, a gentleman who we hired as a consultant um, who himself had been injured, you know, and started off able-bodied and become disabled. And so he and Sean spent a shitload of time together, had dinner together, the whole thing, um, every night, dinner together, stuff like that. So um, that's very luxurious is what I'll say. For for our listeners out there, I think we have to do a, like a 101 session, Alex, which, which is what is yeah, blocking. So, uh, yeah, what is blocking? Yeah. So blocking is, uh, for, for anyone who... Uh, took the Arthur Miller dance course. It's, um, it's basically like, uh, the, um, Physi- where the actors motion. are physically standing and physically moving within the, uh, frame, yeah. within the frame or even on the set. And then, uh, the camera is another dance partner, right? Yes. If, even if, if it moves or if it doesn't move, it's a question of making sure everyone's in frame. No one's walking, you know, half in, half out or on a phone. Fo- this is especially important for lighting and uh, focus yeah. because uh, you need to make sure that uh, they're getting captured. The performances are everyone's um, being, you know, being captured correctly. So it's incredibly difficult to do that when your actors are not there working with you. Uh, oh, well this one's tall and this one's short. And so we're going to need to back the camera up or, you know, uh, Hey, make sure that the lighting captures this, her hair is very fluffy or whatever. So it must be incredibly difficult to try to uh, pre-visualize that before they're actually there. Do you have stand-ins that? Yeah, you always have stand-ins in television, but you have to pre-visualize all that when you're shot listing in prep. This is what I'm saying. You go to the locations, as many locations as you can generally, you know, uh, in television and especially the shows that I worked on billions and SVU, um, they have, you know, stages, that they've had for years, you know, and you have access to the stages and, and sets there. Um, and, you know, so also the DP and the gaffer, they all know the actors, you know, there are day players in television for sure, but they know, you know, Paul is this tall, Damien is this tall, you know, Mariska is this tall, whatever, has this skin coloring, this, you know, posture, whatever, like in terms of lighting, you know, they can light, you know, broad strokes. For the for the kids at home, the, even the stand-ins that people select for the lead actors will be Pretty the close. same skin tone, yeah. the same height, yeah. the same basic build, yeah. so that you That's can really build around that. And so you, at the last possible second, the big star comes in like, yeah. okay, let's do it. And yeah. is that culturally because the hours are just so long that they want to keep them fresh? Is yes. it because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't yeah, want to. Yeah, it's not. Around. It's not meant to be like a diva thing. It's meant to be like a labor thing. It's a <laughs> right. labor thing. Fourteen it's hours on your feet. Okay, you're supposed to be really excited, Damien. Ready? And uh, oh, okay, let's do it. It's athletic. Yeah. Being an actor is is it's an athletic job. I mean, being a director and especially being a DP. Whoa, all the you know all the crew. They're very athletic.
an actor's life is tough. I mean, it's it's oh, fucking God, tough. And so it's especially tough when you're starting out. So you go to auditions, which are soul crushing, and you do readings, which are soul crushing. And now you do these home tapings where you're just sending yeah. freaking messages in a bottle out into the world. Yes. And there's no response. There's no positive feedback. It's just, you know, fuck you. The vo- you send it to the void. <laughs> yeah. And so... Door when you get some level of uh, recognition uh, there's an exciting moment in an actor's life when they don't read, they get offers. You're just like, you know what I can do. You know, my name is Damian Lewis, you know, refer to band of brothers, either hire me or don't, I'm not reading shit. And you respect that. It's kind of like, Hey, there's a body of work. If you want to see if I can act, here you go. Right. So I get that. and, And you understand that, but you know, I also I'm gonna I'm gonna always empathize more with the director in the sense that yeah, man, I got to sit here and stare at your mug for two years while we're building these stupid digital models and all this crap. So it's um it's a double edged sword. But uh, you've worked with some incredible actors. I know. And- I was just gonna say I figured out a way around the offer only trap. I figured yes. How do you, yeah. Trick. How do you know what you're dealing with? Yeah. What do you do? Like a lunch or something? Sunlight Jr. is a love story, right? And it's two yeah. movie stars starring in this love story. And, um, so it was originally, I had a long relationship with Rachel Weisz, who I actually never made a movie with. And she was supposed to do Sunlight Junior, and then she got offered some big Hollywood movies that she couldn't turn down. So she was unattached, but Matt Dillon was still attached. Um, so Rachel, Rachel had come first, and I asked her how she felt about Matt, because I always saw Matt in this role. And she was like, I got to meet him. They met. We all met. We had lunch. It was, you know, sparks were flying right away. Not so even- are your eyeballs cameras at that lunch? Are yeah, you doing like, totally. Are you doing two shot, one shot over the shoulder? And they're like, sit down, Lori. We're trying to eat our lunch. No, no, that's fine. I'm going to hold my hands up like a, like no, a camera. That's not, I'm not that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not like a camera. No, I'm saying in your mind. I'm not, I'm, I'm making a joke. Like you're not, you're obviously not embarrassing yourself. I was watching yourself, them. But- I thought, thought, oh yeah, like a hawk, right? I thought she was sitting there and closing one eye and going, camera one, camera two. No, but but it's more for me, see, back to the hippie part. I just, you know, I just have to feel them. I got to feel their vibes. I got to feel their feelings. But so that was great. So that's, so that was the first, you know, so. I could, you know, he's. Well, wait, don't skip only. ahead. He's so, are are you are you feeling right? Are you feeling how they get along just as people? You're not yeah. even like, you yeah, know yeah, that. yeah. You're like, oh, they seem to be. They'll they'll play nice. Like that's what yes. it is, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Okay, we were playful with each other right off the bat. I thought it was really sweet. Um, right. You know, in an innocent, not you know. Anyway. No, I'm not saying inappropriate. You're saying that there's a mutual respect and there's a uh, enthusiasm there to stuff. work with. Them. Yeah, exactly. There was chemistry. You like yeah. chemistry read. There was yeah. chemistry, right? So that was, you know, ish of a chemistry read. And then, so then she fell out. So then Matt was left and Matt, you know, he was very committed to the project and uh, God bless him. You know, it was really what got the movie made at the end of the day. And so what you do is you say to your actor, who do you want to work with? Who do you, you know, think 
would be great for you to play opposite in this role. So you get your actors to cast with you. I cast also with Maggie because she had a lot of uncomfortable scenes. She had a scene where her, the actor playing her father has to feel her up. She, you know, um, and this is, this is w where I got into an argument with the producer <laughs> because she had, there was naked, like vagina, you know, actually vulva, not vagina, but whatever. Uh, scene. And so she, you know, she had to do that. Um, didn't make it in the final cut of the movie. That's what the argument was about. But um, she did shave a, a lightning bolt into her, you know, pussy hairs. Um, <laughs> show her little friend who was the halfway house director. My friend did this. I mean, the, the dialogue is still mostly there, but the shot isn't. Anyway, she had to do a lot of uncomfortable things, nude things. And so she, we cast together, you know, also. Um, and I'd say, what about this guy? And she'd be like, no, I don't know them. And so we did wind up, like, I cast Sam Bottoms to play her dad. She'd known Sam, you know, through LA circles. Um, he's lovely, but she knew him personally, you know, through friends and, and that made sense for that movie. Um, and then with, you know, Matt, we just came, we met for lunch at this Thai restaurant one afternoon. We each had our lists. We put our lists together and boom, boom, boom. And we were both like, Naomi, Naomi, oh, Naomi would be the best. And then she really liked the script. So I got lucky. But that's how you work around the um, offer only actors. You just, you pick, you know, uh, the actor who is either, you know, attached when there's nobody else or who has the, mo you know, the lead. Well, it's a, it's a, bu it's a, it's a, a building block. Them and then you cast together. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You, right. You have something to, it's like, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. At least, you know, you have, you have Matt or you have whoever. It's funny that Maggie back in that um, era, maybe it's something about her, 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 I don't know, just her energy, but she really made a name in those very uncomfortable sexual uh, roles, yeah. you know, secretary and <laughs> she's, your film. She's, you know what I mean? She's a good. She just has like an innocence, and they're like, "Let's rip down her innocence" or something. I don't know. It's just she was she was fitting that that early two thousand kind of role of that yeah. person, you know. She's fearless. Um, is that what it is? She's able to she's take on the fearless. Role. She's yeah, very yeah. sexy. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I you know I haven't gotten intimate with her, but I've spent time with her. She's very <laughs> sexy. Well, you were there at her shaving you session. Know, I mean, <laughs> some actresses you're intimate very, in a way. Some actors, some people, some people are very beautiful but not sexy, and some people no. are very sexy but not beautiful. And then you get the, some people are both. Um, amazingness but yes and maggie i think as a person is just a sexy sensual person um and so she's not afraid to work with that that's one of the tools in her toolbox it's pretty cool because that's what makes us human you know she carries herself very uh, from day one as like a very mature person do you, do you think that was from working as a, as a child actor or coming from a uh, a showbiz family where her Probably. i believe it was her parents were casting yeah. people. I mean, she just kind of knew, knew how it was, right? She had a, she had an inborn sort of, um, yeah. Confidence. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so when you have to ask an actor, I mean, it's in the script, but when you have to ask, ask an actor to do something uncomfortable, do you have a, um, a concern about that? Or are you just very, very open and like, let's just well, attack the subject matter? Or how, how do you, how do you come around to some, an, an awkward conversation as a director to an actor? 
Well, that's that's why I like to spend a lot of time with my actors um, before even prep. Like, you know, I like to attach at the script stage and then, you know, start the conversation and have lunch and go to parties together. And and then so when we're starting prep, we know each other a little bit. And uh, right. And you got your own little you know, private jokes and your, your pals. And yeah. Yeah. And they know, you know, about your you know, fucked up family or your last breakup, or, right. you know, like you should, or where, or where this, women, why are you on this project? Yeah. Shared, shared values Share. yeah, yeah. with a Matt Dillon, with, a, with the people that you work with, what I, what I quickly came to realize they're not actors, they're fellow filmmakers. Yes, they and are. And they have, yes, and they have a huge body of work more than you usually. Right. Especially oh, like, well, yeah, as you said, two movie there. stars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're coming in and you're like, I directed two films. And he's like, that's I cool. I've been 60. in 40. Yes. You know, or 60. In that point, yeah, Arquette was in 60 films. Yeah. And he and he was like, I, I wrote this great monologue. There's these humdinger lines and people are going to be quoting this and da, da, da. And he goes, or I could just give him a look. Yeah, and I'm like, I love. Um, I'm all for okay, that. Okay, let's do it your way. So he he was nice enough to do my you know blah blah blah, and, and he's like, well, and then let's do it your way. And of course, every suggestion, every ad lib, I used it like without a like down the line thirty changes that he made, and not in an arrogant way. Like I know shit. He's just like, or we could try this, and he would just do it, and I would film, and he we would film it both ways because he's just a fucking hell of a guy and of course i use every single one of his ideas right uh and another thing that um for some reason i just didn't know beforehand but i learned very quickly okay so the script is god and you know you, you can't deviate from the script and you must shoot everything that's on the page and if there's time you can do something else but um, when you're turning in your director's cut, you cannot cut a single line <laughs> from the episode. Right. And I did um, in one of the episodes I turned in. And, um, you know, you don't do that. Of course, you know, you the editor was like, to? oh, you can do it because I've seen other directors do it. It's They're super cool. But... You know, but the thing is, I think the other directors were maybe John Dahl, who's like directed talking about episodes, like, <laughs> Yeah, John Dahl, episodes. last seduction. Yeah, but of course, Koppelman's going to take whatever he says. Like, yes, is, sir. The script is God and, and Koppelman and Levine are God and, and they are and it's their baby. And so when you're collaborating with actors on your film, whether or not you wrote it, um, it's just... A different medium and there's more uh leeway and there's more opportunity to say let's just cut these lines and you know do the whole scene without any dialogue or you know sometimes in rehearsals i've had the actors play the subtext where they don't say the lines they say what the you know the subtext of the lines are oh they say it out loud that's yeah, great they say it out, it's fucking yeah, awesome yeah. exercise but and i want you to love me i don't love you and i'll never love totally, you yeah that's great totally and it always gets the best performance, actually, when you do the take right after. Yeah, yeah they're all like sparkly. Yeah. yeah. I heard um, some director did a, does a rehearsal where there's no lines. And they're like, yes. I just want to see yes. your, 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 your carriage and, yes. and your expressions. Well, that's, yeah. that's a, you know, that's a perfect blocking rehearsal, actually. 
But I mean, I guess it depends on the scene too and the script because some scripts are very literary. You know, Billions is right. very literary. And um, so, but I think the general um, protocol is one for me, one for you. So the actor wants right. to change your line or drop your line or whatever. You know, I think it's really important for you to get what you wrote, you know. Well, even In just one the of problem. The pigs. Yeah, yeah. And, well, that, and, uh, you know. It, it's is it is it also just so you can track and in, in post right? Because if you yeah. go too too free balling, like you're like, oh, this doesn't cut. What, what have you, we done? You're you know? also the leader. I mean, I know it's a collaborative medium. It's it's a schizophrenic medium because you need to collaborate to be creative, to you know be that additive element. Um, whether you're the director or the actor, because I have directed a feature film that I didn't write. Um, but Ooh, you also have was to that show like? it's called furlough. You also have to show, um, you know, a lot of leadership. And so, especially with me, I, I've worked with a lot of, you know, A-list talent early on. And, um, you know, at a certain point they have to do your line because they have to see you as the boss. And I know that sounds fucked up. But Ooh. <laughs> No, so let's okay, but let's talk about this. In this is a this is a rich vein. So you you psychologically you you spend time with them. There's a comfort level. You're in the same room. You have a cocktail, maybe you 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 see yeah, them in the social coffee, situations. Maybe a lunch, yeah. No, I'm saying like like you said, you went to a party or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, with Maggie, uh, yeah. I did. I went to. It yeah. So meaning like one. off work, just socializing, just kind of chilling, right you're definitely watching them like a hawk like oh hell yeah oh, I, I i love the way she flips her hair we're gonna put that in yeah. or some sort of exactly. like idiosyncrasy that yes. you can use but uh visually but um this is interesting you're talking about power dynamics yes i right? am i am and so let's get into that a bit how so so the the classic um uh, assumption again, assumption brain. So, uh, the classic assumption is that on a film, uh, the director is the boss, right? And mm -hmm. my favorite part of directing a film was when they would, you know, you'd walk in a room and everyone was, you know, directors on the set, and it was like, you know, captains on the bridge. Yeah. Like there was a just like a military like Entire vibe film. about it. Yeah, yeah and totally. That's why they have even this terminology? There's above the line and below the line. Yeah, people are talking. It's like above the deck and below the deck. Yeah, doing away with that terminology. But no way. I don't know how that would happen. You know, a whole generation of filmmakers would have to be dead or something. I don't, no I don't know. No way. Well, I just rewatched uh, Master and Commander, and I just realized how much a, an old sailing ship is like a film set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never thought of that, but of course, yeah. The military, and we've said this, we've said this before on the show, is like the military is. I, I think sets are the best sets are structured like military organizations. They operate like military timing. I I believe that. Um, and yeah, our good friend of ours is a former uh, unit commander in the army, and he's an extremely effective line producer because of it. Oh, I yes, I believe that. Um. It's very hierarchical and people, you know, and has to be don't, you know, move and the unions are very strict. So you, you can't like lift that, you know, lens case, right? You can't pick that up. 
documentary is different. It's so interesting. I directed a couple of segments for this series called The Me You Can't See. Um, that's uh, on mental illness. And it was executive produced by Oprah and Prince Harry. All over the world, people are in some kind of mental, psychological, emotional pain. Flashy um, names, but, but very serious subject matter. And wow, I didn't, you know, everybody, because we traveled to Montana for one of the segments, everybody picks up a lens case. Everybody picks up a, whatever you can carry, you pick it up and you, you walk it to your van, right? Everybody. The other thing is they don't, I'm the director, right? So the DGA director gets picked up by a teamster and driven to set <laughs> All right. every day. I love the Teamsters and, you know, like I said, I have Italian yeah. heritage. Like these guys, you know, I'm one Yeah, like, especially in like, New Jersey. They're probably half from New Jersey, right? They're a, lot rougher. <laughs> They're a lot rougher on the East Coast. My stepmother's cousin was a Teamster for a very long time. And so I know these guys, right? I, they don't have Teamsters in documentary. Like I'm like, wait, I have to call my own Uber. I have to call my own Uber. And like, I'm not that person. I live in East Flatbush, like I, I, with 1,200, 1,300 square feet with, you know, four people. Like I'm not, you know, living large, like I said earlier, but I just got so used to being a DGA director, you know, in oh, yeah. film and mm -hmm. episodic television that when I transitioned back to doc, I was really surprised and, and it was fine. You know, I figured it out. But so Oprah was pulling cable for you? <laughs> no, no, no. Who's executive <laughs> All right. So here's the other thing that you hear about TV is that, uh, again, that power dynamic, right? So um, how do you, well, this is a general question, but specific, I, I just, I, I'm, Paul Giamatti wants to be talked about in my brain right now because I love him so much. Yeah, so he's awesome. he, I mean, first of all, genius guy, but like knows this character up and down and back and forth and side to side, you know? Mm -hmm. So for sure. how do you, how do you say to a guy or oh, a gal, uh -huh. you know, how do you so I'm, them, right? I, I'm, yeah. How do you direct them? I mean, yeah. how do you physically say like, I interpret this script this way. And they're like, I got it, sweetheart. Ready and roll them. Well, you know, sometimes like, that happens. Yeah. I mean, honestly, sometimes that happens and, you know, much respect. Like, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, did you ever like, I think did you ever get him to see something your way? Well, I, it's not about, I know I gave that impression because I was talking about power dynamics, but really what you do with the actors, you know, on set is, you know, or well, and in prep with, you know, on a feature, but on set on TV episode is you just talk about the scene and what is the scene about? And, you know, the subtext and, what does your character want? What does, you know, the other person in the room want? And you have that conversation and that's directing. It's like, people are like, what's your rehearsal process? My rehearsal process is script analysis, period. Script analysis. You take your leads, you know, with uh, Sherry Baby was just Maggie, with Marilyn Monroe it was just Kelly, uh, but with Sunlight Junior it was Matt and Naomi, you know, cause it was more of a two-hander. And you go line by line by line through the script. Now, like I said, with Matt and Naomi, because the two of them, really, that was more like just focused on their scenes. You know, I didn't want to waste anybody's time. Um, so 
but you go line by line, what is this about? You know, just like what I said, you, you know, the conversation that you have um, when you're directing episodic actors, what is this about what's going on here? And, and inevitably they always, you know, you could see that the wake up moment. They're like, Oh, okay. Oh, that's what you meant. Oh, I took it like this. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's interesting. You know, let's try that. Or, you know, and lines get changed when I was doing it with Maggie lines would get changed. Um, I lost a scene during script analysis um, or maybe a couple of scenes that because of redundancy or no, what? just, uh, yes. Some because of redundancy and some, because like, I don't think we need this. Um, that I wouldn't do necessarily now because I am that kind of director, uh, especially in the editing room where it's very easy for me to cut stuff. Cause like you said, when you're living with the script for a couple of years before you get to shoot it, it all, you don't really see it for what it is anymore, you know? And so, you know, there was a scene where Sherry was supposed to tear up her bed with a knife. Um, you know, she was violent. She was more violent in that first draft or not first draft, but the draft that we did script analysis with. And um, I wish I had kept that, you know, because I think, mm. you know, prison makes people violent. <laughs> you know, if they weren't already when they went in, they come out more violent. Or violent. And you you saw that firsthand in your violent social world. world. Yeah, it's a really yeah. violent world. Yeah, no, I mean, I was a special ed classroom and a teenage 13, 14 year old threw a chair at me, you know? Wow. Um, or in my direction, actually, I think she was throwing it at another teacher. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, so, so script analysis is my rehearsal process. I don't need to put stuff on its feet. I like the spontaneity, you know, when the camera's rolling, it, capture it for the first time. Uh, you can do improvs, you know, in the rehearsal stage. You have the luxury of time. Like I did a lot of improv with the little girl and the couple that were, you know, Sherry's brother and his wife. I did some improvs with them a couple of days just to get them comfortable with each other and seem like a family. So I'd have them do family stuff together. Like, okay, it's morning. You're getting her ready for school, you know, or, okay, it's afternoon. She's coming home from school. So you, you categorize your first greenlit moment as making the documentary in film school that took you through into your professional career. Yes. You would call that as sort of the, the, a, a transitional moment. Yeah, big time. Because I got into what, Sundance. Right. Okay. So that was your first Sundance moment in, in the early 2000s and in the, in the yeah. hurly-burly days of Sundance. Yeah, yeah. And so... Did that put you on their radar for when Sherry Baby became like a well, kind yeah, of Sundance I did, darling? I did the lap. You did? Oh, you did the lab. Okay. So, okay. Oh, so take us, open the door to the Sundance lab. That, yeah. Now, just, just to lay the, the groundwork here. So, yeah. so um, film schools, you know, we've heard of them all. I mean, the big, the biggies, and obviously she went to one of the biggest and, um, and then like the Nichols Fellowship is a way in yep. and, uh, you know, certain film festivals, but the, the lab. this is a fascinating, very, uh, hard to get into super influential thing called the Sundance lab. Tell us what that is. It's a workshop. It's a little bit like film school actually. Mm -hmm. 
Um, mm -hmm. So it's great for directors who are just getting out of film school. Um, or, you know, there's a lot of, when I was there, there were several, I wouldn't say a lot, several people changing careers. Like we had an architect who had a script that, you know, was really good. So he was there um, shifting careers. And I actually wrote a recommendation for an artist that I worked with um, just one evening. I gave her some directing pointers. We did like blocked a couple scenes together um, with her producer. Her name is Swoon. She's a visual artist um, and she wrote a script. So she's, you know, she went to the lab last year. Um, so you get the, the folks who are, you know, switching careers, who are talented at film, um, who have good scripts that they wrote. And then, so these aren't kids. These are all walks of life. Yeah, all interesting there's a range. Sorts, ages, ranges, yeah. genders. I think when I was there, we yeah. were kind of all the same age. You know, just it's like, very. What needs to be said, though, it's it's very hard to get into. It's yeah, I, I think exclusive. I think Super exclusive. duper hard film. School. And you also get exposed <laughs> to a lot of the folks that I know who've gone to the lab who've been lucky enough to go. You also get exposed and meet and greet. Uh, there's usually a list talent involved that will help. Uh, I don't know if that was. Well, that's how I got Maggie. Nice. Her mom was my advisor. Kablam. Cha-ching. So, yes, to your point. Um, so what you do is you pick four or five scenes from your script and maybe speaking. And was the Sherry baby at that point? Yeah. Did, is that what you brought in? Okay. I maybe misspeaking. I went a long ass time ago. Okay. I think it was. No. Yeah. You, so it must've been between Oh two and Oh six. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, okay. you had written Sherry baby or it was. Yes. Okay. Okay. At there we go. Point. Okay. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. So I had uh new York and dream was in the festival uh, year 2000. And I had two screenplays that I was working on because like I said, I was in film school. We all took feature writing. I had one called four Queens with about four, you know, young women from San Francisco go on a road trip to Las Vegas. And while they're there, one of them gets lost. And it's like, it is so Gen X looking back. The hangover. I, I, yeah, I wish I could have made that movie at some point now, <laughs> but anyway, and then I had Sherry baby, which was called at the time, something else. Um, Rachel Chanoff was the scout. And so I sent both scripts to her and I'm like, which one should I submit? And, um, they, and she picked Sherry baby and yeah. And so that's what, I got into lab with. So what you do once you're there is you first um, <clears throat> session is screenwriters lab. It's a week or two in January. I think it's a week and you just have a series there. You always do a table read of the whole script. You have a series of meetings with your screenwriting advisors. Um, and those meetings are two to three hours long. And it's basically just the most thorough feedback you'll ever get in your life on your screenplay. And wouldn't it be great if we all had that for every Yeah, exactly. We so it's, it's script analysis then, for you. Yeah. And then yeah. you have to reapply for the director's lab. And that takes place in the summer or it did at the time. And um, that's four weeks. And that's the real workshop where you're you have actors, they have a casting director, you cast your scenes, um, you know, the big roles and then the smaller roles. Um, I forget what they do for day players. Gosh, I don't remember. But anyway, I had Alison Folland and Donal Logue were Sherry and Bobby. 
And I don't know if I had any Dean's Love me some Donald. Oh my Logue. God, he's I love him so much. I, we're still friends. Um, do 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 do. Yeah, and so you you shoot your scenes. You have a crew. Um, a lot of superstar crew came out of the labs as well. Um, Afonso Gonzalez, who's like a huge editor now. He was he was in house editor at the labs for a few summers. Um, you know other folks like that anyway. And so you have an assistant director, you have DP crew, I think were locals and, um, and an editor. Um, and you work. So it really is. You're shooting you a short, you're basically shooting a short film with like rock star everything. Yeah. And then you put them up yeah. for your advisors and it's a mix of director advisors, actors, and editors, no writers at the filmmakers lab. Um, and so like I had Sigourney Weaver, you know what Sigourney Weaver said to me at the lab? She's like, Lori, you know how many women directors I've worked with? And I, and I said, no, how many? And she said, none. And I was like, ouch. And that was actually, that was like a really pivotal moment for me because that was when I realized like, oh, it's kind of a weird thing to want to do if you're a woman. Like I'd never occurred to me like, oh, there aren't women. It just didn't. I, you know, I'd seen Alison Andrews movies in the nineties and yeah, you know, the Agnes Varda and whatever, whatever, Lena Vermeer. I just didn't cross my mind. Anyway, she was one Stanley Tucci, Redford always, he wasn't my advisor, but he was my friend Jody's. Advisor. Well, he was very active. Yeah, then, though. Very he active, like yeah. popped in. Yeah. 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 And, um, Peter Medak and Wes Craven wow. and, Frank Oz nice. and yeah, he's such a sweetheart. Oh my God, he was a mensch. Yes, rest in peace. What another thing people should know about this is that when you finish filming and editing, um, you I and I know this has happened to a few people. I don't know if it was like this then, but you can get your film funded through this. Like people take notice and if they like it, it's possible that they're going to yeah. film. I mean, somebody, well, it's really, a badge of honor. It's not like they have a bag of money there, but it's no, it but definitely are, puts you at the head of some there list are, for sure. There are people who find bags of money there though. I they mean, come they, to you, they come to you at Sundance or South by or whatever the investors or the financing producers. And they're like, I want to make a movie with you. That actually happened to me with someone, um, Paul, I want to say Paul Allen, but he wanted to make like a, I don't know who it was. Paul one Allen from Microsoft? Seattle, Paul yeah. Allen? One of those Seattle. Um, Seattle billionaire types. Billionaire types. I don't, or Michael something. It wasn't Paul Allen. I would, no. But he worked with Paul Allen. Anyway, I think he passed, but he said, oh, I want, you know, was at Sundance, I want to make a movie with you, whatever, whatever. But I wow. was, well, I made a movie and had a baby at the same time, which I don't recommend. Wow. Holy crap. Yeah, I was seven months pregnant on Sherry Baby. What, you were seven months oh, pregnant during Lord. the production of Sherry Baby? <laughs> yeah. Having a baby Holy on yeah. Sherry Shit. Baby about, about a terrible mom. <laughs> so my head was up my ass when that oh, dude, God. Michael something... That dude said, I want to make a movie with you because I should have been like, yes. And you were like, yes, sir, right away, sir. Billionaire man. But I was working on something that I thought was more commercial that never got made. Oops. And there you go. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a bummer. But what are you going to do? You learn from your mistakes. You know, like I said, 
So wait, so take us through it. So the film gets in, and I'm assuming you've you're applying to seven hundred different film festivals, right? You're just going no. hither and yon. No. No? no. no. You're like Sundance you, or bust. Well, you start with the big ones. You don't just you start with the big ones. You don't ones. just yeah. send okay. you know, it's yeah. it's at that And it's not cheap to apply either. Fifty bucks to an indie filmmaker is a lot of money, right? Yeah, especially at that time. Um Yeah, yeah. I, I don't because nobody me. was paying me to direct, right? I and I was just borrowing money. Right, it's on loans. Yeah, so you get in. They tell you congratulations, and we were talking to HBO, and we hired a consultant, Bob Hawk, who I knew from when I lived in San Francisco, and then he was like a Film Arts Foundation guy, and then he moved to New York and did some consulting work for independent filmmakers who wanted to get their stuff into premiere festivals. And so what he'd do is come into your editing room, watch your cut and be like, and give you notes, give you feedback to make it better. Um, and, you know, he'd been a lifelong film festival programmer. So, and yeah, so he was valuable. And then we also, um, and this was the Sheila Nevins deal. era. Yeah, we were talking yeah. to Sheila. And so Sheila, told us that she wanted to buy it before we got into Sundance. It was all happening at the same time. I remember because, and then she, we hired, right. she hired Jeff Bartz to, you know, re-edit or, you know, fine tune it. And Give it um, a she, we got into Sundance. She's like, okay, we, well, I won't go crazy on your cut. You know, so obviously it's good. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> um, but I well, did, add, I did add the voiceover because it got sold to HBO. I was going to make a much more, um, verite kind of right movie but you know it works i have no mm -hmm. regrets but um mm -hmm. and then so it wasn't um it, you go sundance first we got into sundance and then from there we got invitations right when i was making ton in san francisco um i sent you know vhs tapes to a million festivals like what you describe i did that with my short doc but for with um, New York and Dream, we had producers, we had HBO. Like, it wasn't like that anymore. Um, we waited for invitations, and then you know, I don't know if we tried to get into Cannes as like know. exhibitions. But and I did screenings get into and... the Cannes uh, residence, the Cine Fondation residence. I went there working on the script. Yeah, Olivier Sayas was the head of the jury. He was lovely. Um, that's exciting. Him. Yeah. New Jersey girl in uh, oh, I know. It's thank you guys for talking. It's like bringing me back. I'm like, oh yeah, great. <laughs> you know, everything I've ever wanted yeah. has come you've true because you've buried all the joy under the right. scarring of the, 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 the daily pounding. Years. Yeah, yeah. The callous, so, um, callous you, memories. You, you know, this filmmaker, Nikyatu Jusu, she tweets a lot. And I remember when she was like, you got to have scripts in your pocket. And a million percent. I had two scripts in my pocket. So New York and Dream, Sundance Lab. I was ready to make the movie, you know, after the Sundance Lab. Like I said, I've never gotten so much valuable feedback, you know, in one place at one time. The script was really good. But well, wait, clarify for us. So you got into the festival that's not an automatic gimme into the lab, right? That just puts you on their radar. No, I got and into the festival. Apply to the lab. I got into the festival with New York and Dream, right? And then but I then, had Sherry Baby script. Got into the lab, and then after I made the movie, I had to try to get into the festival again. And yes, it was not yes. a given, and I did no. get it in. 
So it's all these thresholds that you have to continue to jump through hoops for the yeah. rest of your and life. And I didn't get some my junior into Sundance. And I, I will tell you, that was devastating. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, but, but I'm a graduate. They're like, I was nah. like, aren't I a Sundance baby? Yeah. I worked on a film a few years ago where she had gotten into Sundance and went to the lab and developed the film in the lab and got it made you know tangentially to the lab i guess and then the film didn't get into sundance didn't get in yeah you hear that all brutal it sucks but you pick yourself up like if you don't you know it's a lot of luck you're never gonna be a filmmaker i mean you just get slapped around by all kinds of like competitive moments all right everybody everybody heard that everybody heard that no everybody heard that out there you're gonna get slapped around a bit so stay strong but more importantly the slapping never stops i think is the more the bigger theme which is i think i came in and sounds like you did too there's this again assumption ding is uh that at some threshold you're now in the club or you know as like uh as someone once called it the walled city but it once you're inside, then you're fighting to stay inside. There's no not fighting, right? Yes, that is exactly correct. And when I read the description of your podcast, um, like what was that moment? I was like, that moment? <laughs> every movie, every movie, every, every job is that moment. Like every time, you, I feel like I'm starting over all the time. Hey, thanks for joining us. This is How I Got Greenlit. That was Lori Collier, director, filmmaker. Really interesting talk about a a real life in the real R-E-E-L life. Thank you, Lori. Keep on keeping on and uh, reach out to us at How I Got Greenlit. Twitter, at How I Got Greenlit. Instagram, thank you and good evening. Next Chapter Podcasts.